We're in 2 Samuel chapter 5 this morning. A man was part of a visitation team, and one day he was sharing the gospel with a very tender-hearted woman. He uh, spoke with her for about 20 minutes, and at the end of that, he asked her if she wanted to receive the Lord, and she responded by saying, yes, I would like to. So he started to lead her in the prayer of salvation, and she followed by saying, Father, thank you for sending your son. But before she could finish, her car that was parked nearby started honking very loud. The noise was so loud that the woman could not hear the man who was trying to lead her in the prayer of salvation. So they went to the car to investigate the situation and see what was going on. They had to pop the hood and, and shut the horn off that way. And then they tried to go back and resume praying and her focus was gone. The man knew that the cause of the horn blaring at that moment was not simply a mechanical malfunction. He knew that it was a demonic interruption to distract a would-be believer from the gospel message. As we get started today, it is beyond imperative for us to come together and hear this and process it because we're just going to build on it the rest of the morning. Satan does not easily relinquish ground that he has taken possession of. He does not. He does not easily relinquish ground that he has taken possession of. That's vital. David has been anointed and embraced as king over all of Israel, as we're seeing. So coming through 2 Samuel chapter 5, and what we see here when we get to verse 6 is the official first act, act of David as the king of all of Israel. Verse 6 says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. So Jerusalem was located on the border of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And so establishing Jerusalem as the capital made perfect sense. David was from the tribe of Judah, and Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. And so this was a perfect location for what is now a unified nation. Israel is one, but there was a problem. Jerusalem was in the hands of a Canaanite people who descended from Ham, the Jebusites. And listen, they had no interest whatsoever in relinquishing that ground. None. They were not looking to do that. They were not open to just give that ground up to Israel. And because of its location, they were beyond confident in their ability to defend it. They were very confident that there was no way that David and his men could take Jerusalem. Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. Jerusalem was surrounded on three sides by very steep valleys. 
which gave the Jebusites a tremendous advantage and put David and his men at a great disadvantage. Not to mention, Israel had taken Jerusalem during the conquest in Joshua chapter 10, but they didn't hold on to it, which gave the Jebusites even more confidence that you had it, but you couldn't keep it. What makes you think you can take it back? They were pounding their chests. And the Jebusites were so confident in their ability to defend Jerusalem that they mocked David and his men. This is so fortified that even the, the blind and the lame can defend it. It's that fortified. In their face. Now, this is where we start to narrow our focus a little bit today. And this will be a two-part message. And you'll see why as we build this. But verse 7, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. Verse 7 is short, but very concentrated. You have the first mentions of Zion and the city of David. Very big terms. Uh, this stronghold was located on the southeast, southeast ridge overlooking the Kidron Valley, and it was known as Zion. In Solomon's day, Zion referred to the hill on the north side of the city where the temple was built. Mount Zion came to refer to the Temple Mount and Mount Moriah, and Zion and Mount Zion then came to refer to the city of Jerusalem itself and God's people in general. Just some doctrinal perspective there on Zion. But for us in the church age, we are not preoccupied with Jerusalem of old. No, our focus is on another Jerusalem. Revelation 21, verse 2, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. John had in view the capital city of heaven and earth, the new Jerusalem. And it will be the fulfillment of what Jesus talks about in John chapter 14, where he says he is going to prepare a place for us. This is that place. So the church and the saints of all ages will be in the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and that will include Israel. Because in this same chapter of Revelation 21, particularly in verse 12, it talks about 12 gates that has the names of all 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. That is the Jerusalem that we are focused on. But the focus in 2 Samuel chapter 5 immediately was on the Zion that God had for his people, which focused on his plan, his king, his people, and his kingdom at that time. But the Jebusites, a heathen people, were not about that. They were not about God's plan. They were not about God's king. They were not about God's people. They were not about God's kingdom. Zion was a stronghold. Now, please, with urgency, with urgency today. The Lord wants to speak to us about strongholds. 
This is urgent. This is of great urgency. Starting with the definition. A stronghold, listen, is anything that has a death grip on us and prevents us from the abundant life. It's got a death grip. And like the Jebusites, it is not in the mood of letting go. It has no desire to let go. It's got a death grip. And it wants to squeeze you to the point of death. John 10, 10, Jesus says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Familiar verse, yes, but two questions. The first question that we got to look at is, what is this life? What is the abundant life that Jesus speaks of? What is this life? For starters, hear, hear this, the abundant life is not about having an abundance of possessions. That's not, you can't define the abundant life. You can't render it down to that alone. Jesus says in Luke 12, 15, and he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. The Pharisees, traditionally, they were typically very wealthy people, but they were not living the abundant life, not even close. They were living a demonic life. The American believer must understand that money and possessions can actually block someone from the abundant life. They can. Now, the abundant life, it can include those things, but the abundant life is not dependent on those things. You don't have to have a large inventory of stuff. You don't have to have a massive bank account to live the abundant life. If we are to understand the abundant life, I do believe there's something that God would have us to glean very early on in the very first chapter of the Word of God, Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great wells and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Now I want you to see right here in Genesis 1 in verse 20, you have the first mention of abundant or abundantly in God's word. You see that there. And it is found here, notice, in association with waters bringing forth abundantly. Interesting. Let's compare Scripture with Scripture. John 4, 14. 
But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John 7, 38, Jesus says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. A well of water springing up. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Do those phrases sound like abundance? Yes. They most certainly do. Who is Jesus? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. With the, how, does, how does Christ sanctify and cleanse His bride, the church? With the washing of what? By the, by the Word. Is the picture of the abundant life getting a little clearer? It should. And brethren, listen, it has everything to do. This abundant life, it has everything to do. What we're talking about right here, when we talk about defining the abundant life, it has everything to do with obliterating strongholds in your life. Everything. Where we are right now. Here it is. The abundant life is where the Word of God is overflowing out of someone's life. It's overflowing. It's, the Word of God is abundant in their life. In John 15, Jesus talks about His Word abiding in us. And in that same chapter, he tells you what the byproduct of that is going to be. And what is that? Much fruit. Abundance. Abundance. Please hear this. The reason that many believers are cut off from the abundant life, listen, is not because they do not know the Word of God. It's not because they're deficient in Bible knowledge. No, 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 no. It is because the Word of God is not abiding in them and overflowing in their life. That's why. That's why. So, that's the abundant life. Here's the question. Are you living the abundant life? Are you? This is critical because if the answer is no, if you are not living the abundant life, here's what that means. That means that something has a death grip on you, a stronghold, and it has cut you off from the abundant life. It's cut you off. You can't access it. It won't let you. And listen, whatever that stronghold is, it will allow you to listen to sermons. It will allow you to attend church. 
It will allow you to read good Christian books. It will allow you to go to good conferences. It will even allow you to get emotional and cry during praise and worship. But the one thing it will not allow is the abiding and overflowing of the Word of God in and out of your life. It will not allow that. No way. But the one thing (laughs) that you absolutely need is that, and it says, no way, no how. It will do everything in its demonic power to keep you cut off from that. Please, for a stronghold to maintain a death grip, the Word of God cannot flow freely in someone's life. Do you know what God desires for your life and mine when it comes to His Word? What God desires is for His Word to be able to run wild in our lives. Wild. I mean, explosive, abundant, overflowing, captivating. That's what God wants. But that stronghold says, no, no. They can study it. They can talk about it. They can know it. But it's not going to be abundant in their heart. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Paul's prayer was that the word of God would be able to run wild. Not being hindered in any way. See, strongholds don't allow for the word of God to run freely and overflow out of your life. They don't. It's been some years now, but I was speaking at a facility where individuals are dealing with issues like uh, substance abuse, trauma, things like that. And after I was done, a man wanted to talk with me and he wanted to um, express his doctrinal disagreements with some of the things that I had taught that day. And so I gave him the floor and I listened and I didn't agree with him, but to his credit, uh, he knew the Bible very well. And to his credit, he mounted some very strong arguments for the positions that he held. But one of the things that he made sure that I understood was that, you know, because of some of the things that I had communicated, that that's why he would never come to my church. And I just thought, well, I wasn't here to recruit anybody to come to my church, but you don't have to come. But I think you need a church. (laughs) But here's the thing. And no disrespect to him whatsoever or anyone in that situation. By his own admission, he was an addict. An addict. And what I saw in this man is something that I have seen and I see in many 
And churches just like this, that is, the Word of God becomes an academic textbook. It becomes an academic textbook. How smart are you biblically? How much do you know? How much have you amassed up here? See, you can do that and still be a drug addict. And when it becomes an academic textbook, it becomes a book, listen, that you know in your head, but it doesn't have your heart. It doesn't have your heart. And if it doesn't have your heart, listen, that means it's not overflowing out of your life. It's not changing how you think. It's not changing how you speak. It's not changing how you walk. It's not changing how you talk to your wife or how you talk to your husband. It's not changing how you deal with people. And it's not loosening that death grip that has a hold on you. And it allows a stronghold like addiction to own you. Next, I want us to see the intimidation when we talk about strongholds there is an intimidation factor. The Jebusites were taunting David and his men, listen, to intimidate them from even, like, I dare you to even think about trying. This is ours. We got it. It's locked down. Don't even think about it. You're wasting your time. If we are saved, you can't sit through a message like this. I can't and couldn't prepare a message like this without sensing the Holy Spirit calling all of us to the abundant life. You hear it? You feel it? Right now, the Holy Spirit, because the Word of God is open, it wouldn't matter who's teaching this. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit are doing what they do. But the truth at this very moment, given the size of this room and our listening audience, for some right now, three days is about as far as they can go without viewing pornography. That's about as far as they can go. Some have become dependent on a substance and they can not stop. They can't stop. Some are deeply angry and bitter over something that happened years ago. 
and it's got a death grip on them. They wake up bitter. They wake up angry. They go through the whole day bitter and angry. They go to bed angry and bitter. It is eating them alive. Some are being totally dominated every day by fear, worry, insecurity. It's got its grip around your throat. And like the woman who began to pray to receive the Lord as we're sitting here and we're sensing this call from the Holy Spirit to the abundant life, you know what's happening. Uh, the devil is blurring that horn, isn't he? He's blurring that horn to intimidate us and to don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. Don't think about being free. Don't think about me loosening my grip or letting you go. Don't think about it. There's no way and you know it. You know you can't live without this. You can't. Uh, the abundant life, that, <laughs> what you're hearing right now, man, that's an ideal. It's not real. That's a fantasy. You know what? You are predisposed to this. You, you can't help it. You just can't help it. Listen, uh, nothing, nothing will ever make you feel as good and satisfied as this, and you know it. Nothing can deliver like this can. You know what? Considering what's happened to you, considering what they did to you, you know what? You've earned the right to be bitter and angry. You've earned the right. God is giving you permission. I mean, come on. I mean, who wouldn't be bitter and angry after what happened to you? And it sound familiar. And for many, hope of the abundant life is crushed right there. And you know what? They surrender to the lies of the devil. You're right. I can't help it. You're right. I am predisposed. We're going to close today by looking at 2 Chronicles 32. Would you turn there? The Assyrians had defeated the northern kingdom of Israel and had taken them into captivity. And Sennacherib, king of Assyria, now was setting his eyes on the southern kingdom with the same intentions. There'll be no difference. But I want you to listen very carefully to the mocking. I want you to see the intimidation because this is how it plays out in our lives 
all the time when we're talking about strongholds. Second Chronicles 32, beginning in verse 9. After this did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, send his servants to Jerusalem. But he himself laid siege against Lachish, and all his power with him, unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, and unto all Judah that were at Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith Sennacherib, king of Assyria, Whereon do ye trust that ye abide in the siege of Jer in Jerusalem? Doth not Hezekiah persuade you to give over yourselves to die by famine and by thirst, saying, The Lord our God shall deliver us out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Hath not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, Ye shall worship before one altar and burn incense upon it? Know ye not what I... And my fathers have done unto all the people of other lands. Were the gods of the nations of those lands any ways able to deliver their lands out of mine hand? Who was there among all the gods of, the of those nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his people out of mine hand that your God should be able to deliver you out of mine hand? Now, therefore, let not Hezekiah deceive you, nor persuade you on this manner, neither yet believe him. For no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people out of mine hand and out of the hand of my fathers. How much less shall your God deliver you out of mine hand? And his servants spake yet more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He wrote also letters to rail on the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations of other lands have not delivered their people out of mine hand, so shall not the God of Hezekiah deliver his people out of mine hand. Then they cry with a loud voice in the Jews' speech unto the people of Jerusalem that were on the wall to affright them and to trouble them that they might take the city. And they spake against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth, which were the work of the hands of man. How's that for intimidation? Don't even think about praying. Don't even look to trust God. Don't think for a second that your God can help you. Don't think that you can stop me. Don't think that you can live any other way except being in bondage to me. Is this not how it plays out in our lives? When something has a death grip on you, man, what's the point of even praying? What's the point of spending time in God's Word? What's the point? What was Sennacherib's desire? His desire was to take God's people into bondage.
What is Satan's desire? (laughs) He wants you in bondage. That's it. I want to dominate you. I want to destroy whatever faith you have in God, in his word. I want to obliterate that. Please, bondage through intimidation is always effective in the life of the believer who is weak in the word. That's where it goes down. That's who gets taken captive. And listen, you can know the Bible like a scholar and still be weak in the word. You absolutely can. This is a believer who is around the word all the time but they are not in the word and the word is not in them. That's the problem. That's the problem. And point two, we're going to talk very specifically about how to break strongholds. That will be part two. But for today, is there something that has a death grip on you. And it's not letting go. It is cutting you off from the abundant life and it has tons of attitude. It's like Sennacherib. It's big, it's bad, and it's bold. I've got you, I've had you, and I will have you. You will be depressed. You will be angry. You will be bitter. You will be a porn addict. You will be a junkie. You will be given to worry, fear, and anxiety. You will do that. And if you think about leaving... I'll squeeze even tighter. But I've got you. If that's you, two things. One, confess it to the Lord without excuse or justification. As long as you're trying to convince God that you're the exception and you can't help it and all of your reasons for why. And again, it's so maddening because we can actually get so comfortable in this stronghold that we're actually afraid to walk out. Like it's so much better. But we've been here so long. It's become so normal. Like, joy? I mean, that's fantasy, right? I mean, who's, I mean, who can really have that? Who can really have joy? Peace? Come on. How crazy this world is? 
Have you seen my spouse? You seen my kids? What are you talking about peace? Do you know who I work for? Have you seen inflation lately? You've been to the grocery store? I have. But you can still have peace. You have joy. Listen, as long as you convince yourself and lie to yourself that you're a victim, you're not going anywhere. That abundant life will remain cut off from you. I'll just give you a sneak preview in terms of where we're going when we talk about part, part two in this. So I'm going to tell you how that lie gets absolutely obliterated. Because you get to Romans chapter 8, and the Bible tells us something. They're in Romans 8, 12. It tells us as believers in Jesus Christ, we are no longer debtors to the flesh. So guess what I owe my flesh? Nothing. My flesh says, oh, no, no, you owe me some porn. I don't. You owe me some alcohol. Actually, I don't. You owe me some anger. No, I don't. You owe me some bitterness. I do not. That's a lie. I don't owe you anything. You owe me some anxiety. You owe me some fear. No, I don't. I do not. So, no excuses, no justifications. God, I'm locked down. Listen, for the believer, if the word of God is true, strongholds, bondage is always 100% purely voluntary. If it's not, the Bible's a lie. Next, cry out to the Lord in desperation to learn how to abide in His Word as a way of life. John 15, 7 is your verse. God, let your word abide in me. God, I, it's wonderful to hear it at church. It's, it's wonderful to hear it uh, if I'm reading a book or I'm going to a conference. God, that's great. It's wonderful if, if I'm sitting in LFBI or, or, or if I'm being discipled. It's great to hear it taught. But, but God... <laughs> I want it to overtake me. I want it to claim my mind. I want it to take hold of my heart. I want it to be my meditation all the day long. That's it right there. And when we're there, that stronghold is getting obliterated. Lord, thank you for your word today. I don't know 
where everybody's at, but I know in a room this size, there is relevancy to what we looked at today. May we respond however you are dealing with us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.